Genesis chapter number 20, and I, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll, we'll read the entirety of the chapter. It's not very long, and, uh, and we'll use all of it in the preaching of the Word of God tonight. It says in verse number 1, And Abraham, Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, and dwelled between Kadesh and Shore, and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah's wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister. And she even herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee, dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be in your house. Midweek prayer meeting, Lord, we need it tonight. We need to hear from you. We need to gain encouragement. We need to be spiritually strengthened, Lord, and resolved, uh, even for the remainder of the week ahead of us, that we might be a fit testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would bless this time together. Bless the preaching of our word in Jesus' name. Amen. This uh, passage of scripture is remarkable for a number of reasons. It records for us uh, what most would call the second lapse of faith in the life of Abraham. And it is strikingly similar to the first lapse of faith. Uh, the first time back in uh, Genesis chapter number 12, 13, that area of the Word of God, uh, Abraham goes down to Egypt and he commits essentially this same transgression. He lies about who Sarah is. And it's interesting, you know, uh, we might say that a half-truth is good enough, but isn't it interesting that God here designates a half-truth as a whole lie. Amen? Uh, God said, you've done this in the integrity of your heart. We ought to be able to amen that tonight. Amen? Uh, that a half-truth is a whole lie in God's book. Uh, he says, you've done this in the integrity of your heart. He says that to Abimelech. That seems to suggest 
that God accepted his, his excuse that he did not know this and certainly God uh, permits him to live. And so uh, God designates this as a lie. And it's very similar to the lie that he told when he was in Egypt. And I think it's remarkable for that reason. It's remarkable because it opens a period of time in Abraham's life uh, that is going to uh, bring about the realization of the promises of God in his life. It's remarkable because Abraham's going to spend years living in this Gentile land. Now, granted, all the land that Abraham lived in was Gentile land, uh, for he was the father of the Jews, but he's not in the promised land. He's not in the land that God had designated for him to dwell there. So there's a number of remarkable things about this passage. But there is one that has always towered above them all when I have read this since it was brought to my attention, and that's that this is the first time in the Word of God that you'll find the word pray or prayer used as regards communicating with God. Back in verse 7, the Bible says, Now therefore restore the man his wife. This is the Lord speaking to Abimelech. And it says, For he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee. And thou shalt live. And if thou restore not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. It's interesting that the first time that the word prayer is used for a human being communicating with God supernaturally about a matter. It's used in other times before this, just conversationally, when someone would say, well, I pray thee this or I pray thee that. But the first time, and undoubtedly this was not the beginning of men praying to God. The Bible had told us earlier that men had called upon the Lord. But God associates this familiar and scriptural word prayer with this instance in Abraham's life when he chooses to introduce to us the word in this idea. I want to preach to you for a few moments tonight on prayer from this passage, but let me say first off that this passage is presented not so much as an example of prayer. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I hope that your prayer life is better than Abraham's is in this passage of Scripture. In fact, one of the striking features of this passage is that Abraham really ain't in any way living how he ought to be when he prays. And so I hope that you are praying to the Lord in uh, concordance with a clean life and a holy life. And I hope that it is a regular communion and communication with God. I don't think we ought to look at this passage and say to ourselves, well, I need to behave like Abraham did here if I want to be a man of prayer. No, Abraham is living below his station, below his calling. He is not behaving in the way God would have him to. It's not meant to be an example of prayer, but I do think it's meant rather as an explanation about some things concerning prayer. I think we can look at this passage and we can learn some things about what prayer is and what prayer isn't, and I think it is for that reason that God draws our attention to it. Now, I want us to notice four basic thoughts tonight, and we'll try with the Lord's help to be as swift as possible, but things we can learn about prayer. I want to be better at prayer, don't you? I want to pray and please the Lord in my prayer life. I want my prayer life to be effective. I think if there's any failing of modern Christendom, and there are many, but if we were to narrow it down to the to the uh, darkest offense, it would be our lack of prayer. Uh, when we pray, we pray amiss very often. And prayer has been relegated to just sort of a, an afterthought in much of church life today. It's not an accident. I ain't fussing at you. You're here tonight. Amen. So I ain't fussing at you. When you show up, I can't fuss at you. Somebody say amen to that. But it isn't an accident that the prayer meeting is the least attended of all the church prayer meetings. And it's not surprising that prayer is sort of treated oftentimes as a formality that we work our way 
through. But prayer is the very foundational and pivotal activity of the Christian life. It is the deepest, most intimate thing that we do in our relationship with God. And it is the most powerful and should be the most prevalent thing that we engage in. I'm saying tonight prayer is important. And I want to learn how to pray better. And I want to learn what prayer is and what it's not. There's some things to call prayer today that's not prayer. And uh, there's a lot uh, of opportunities we have to pray when we are instead distracted to other things. And so I think when we read this passage of Scripture, we can learn something about prayer. Notice these four thoughts with me tonight and consider what they teach us about the activity of prayer. First, I want you to notice the imperfect practitioner of prayer. And you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, simply what I said in the opening statements of this message, Abraham is not in any way living how he ought to be whenever God points at him and says, here is a man, Abimelech, that can pray for you and can change your situation. Can I tell you something? I'm glad that when God drew attention to someone, He drew attention to Abraham. And I'm glad even when He drew attention to Abraham, listen, it wasn't whenever He was up on Mount Moriah at the peak of sort of His spiritual development and trust and dependency. And it wasn't back when He stepped out in faith and walked away from everything that He knew. It wasn't at that great flexing of the muscle of faith in His life. It wasn't when He was interceding on behalf of Lot in chapter number 18. It wasn't when He was communing with God in the tent door in Genesis 18. No, it wasn't at a high place in His life when God said this. This man can pray for you. It was at a low point in this man's life when God said, this is a man that can pray for you. And you say, preacher, why does that mean something to you? Because I rarely look like Abraham. I more often look like Lot. Amen. I more often, maybe sometimes I look like Jacob or even worse still, some of his boys. If I had to attain to where Abraham was at the pinnacle of his faith, I could never hope to do that. But this Abraham here in Genesis chapter 20, out of the will of God, messed up, doing what he shouldn't do, that's maybe an Abraham that if I if I shouldn't aspire to where he's at, I can at least identify with where he's at. For Abraham here is a compromised man. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, I can tell it by two things. One, look what it says in verse number one. The Bible says, Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. I can tell he's a compromised man because of his desertion. If you were to read uh, a couple chapters prior to this, what you'd find is back in chapter number 18, uh, Abraham speaks with the Lord outside of his tent door and he begs God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And this was uh, undoubtedly a key and poignant uh, moment of prayer in Abraham's life. He's speaking directly to God and he's speaking on behalf of another. In fact, we could say that it's one of the first examples of intercessory prayer in the Bible. This here is one of the next examples of it. And he prays and he asks God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, Lord, if there's 50 there, God says, if there's 50, I will. Abraham does a little math in his mind and he says, well, uh, maybe we better hedge our bets. What if there's just 45 there? And uh, God says, okay, 45 will do. And he says, well, may, may, maybe, maybe, maybe if there's only 40, Lord, and on and on it goes until he comes down to just 10. He figured Lot had enough people in his family <laughs> that 10 would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the way, you know Lot did have enough people in his family that that should have spared Sodom and Gomorrah. It makes you think about how weak and how powerless Lot's testimony was that not even his own family had he reached. You with me tonight here on a sleepy, dark, Wednesday night in November, you still with me here tonight? I'm telling you that Abraham had prayed and sought God's favor. God had granted it and said, okay, Abraham, if what you have asked for, uh, if that's what you desire, that's what I'll do. The problem is Abraham didn't pray big enough. 
or he didn't pray pessimistically enough, one of the two. And uh, of course, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter number 19. And it is immediately after that episode, the Bible says that Abraham in the closing portions of, of chapter number 19, that Abraham went up and, and viewed the, the carnage that was left over from Sodom and Gomorrah. It's in that context that Abraham turns around and heads south. Now you say, preacher, what do you think's going on here? I think Abraham got scared at what he had seen. I think he thought to himself, if God, he didn't know that Lot was still alive. He thought to himself, if God will kill Lot, God will kill me. And he left the place of God's promise and blessing and journeyed to a place of disobedience. I'm saying Abraham ain't got no business in Gerar, but here he is. You say, preacher, that's good and everything. You're being awful rough on old Abraham. No, I'm being, I'm being honest and, and maybe a little hopeful for you and me because if we're being honest, we ain't always where we need to be either. Sometimes we find ourselves running from the will of God. Sometimes we find ourselves running from the heart and mind of God. And if you live long enough and you live in flesh and bone as we all do, probably sooner or later you'll desert your post just like Abraham did. I can tell it because of his desertion. Not only that, but look what verse number 2 says. The Bible says, Abraham said of Sarah's wife, she is my sister, and Abimelech king of Gerar sent to Sarah. I can tell because of his deception. Not only is he not where he's supposed to be as a child of God, but he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing as a child of God. We sang uh, tonight, uh, stand up for Jesus. And that verse always smites me in my heart where it talks about not trusting in the arm of flesh. It will always fail you. What's Abraham doing here? He's trusting in the arm of flesh. He's trusting in the lies and deception that he can propagate and perpetuate to, to save him. Uh, from the abuses of these Philistines. He's quit trusting God. He's quit depending in the Lord. He's quit following God. He's quit obeying God. And this is a man that God says, Abimelech, go get that man to pray for you. How radical is this to our notion of prayer? Because we think of prayer as something that is the, the earned privilege of the hyper-spiritual. But here Abraham is a man that is broken and bent and rebellious and nowhere where he needs to be. And God looks at this pagan king and says, if you can get that man to pray for you, I'll listen and I'll change what's going on. I see he was a compromised man. So what's, what is the confliction here? How do we answer that? Remember, we're not looking at this as an example. We're not saying, I want to live like Abraham lived here. If you do, your life will be a mess. Amen. I promise you, if you go on vacation and look at your wife and say, listen, honey, we're just going to pretend like we're brothers and sisters while we're on vacation. Things are not going to go well with you. Amen. I'm not saying we ought to live the way Abraham's living, but it gives me comfort because sometimes I find I am behaving in a way I'm living below my calling and what God has, has stationed me at. So, I see he was a compromised man, so how can he pray? Well, God gives us the answer in verse 7. Whenever he speaks to Abimelech, he gives us a hint as to why Abraham can pray. He says, now therefore restore the man his wife. And here's why. He says four. Now that word four in your Bible means God's getting ready to explain something. I told you to restore his wife, and this is why. For he is a prophet, and he shall pray for them. Isn't that interesting? I don't know of a single time in the Word of God that Abraham prophesies. Do you? Maybe you do, and, and, and I might be wrong. You can correct me by all means after the service tonight, but I, I don't know of a time when he, when he prophesied. But the Bible here calls him a prophet. Now, what does that mean to suggest to us? Well, I would say this. Undoubtedly, it could be possible. The Bible does say that Abraham saw Christ's day and rejoiced. God could have revealed to him certain things. He could have seen him. But I don't think that's really the salient point. I think what God is trying to say to Abimelech is this. Abraham is a man that knows me. 
Abimelech is referring to God and he's speaking of him in generic terms. He calls him Elohim. He calls him Adonai. And he's speaking of him in these generic terms. He's not calling him Jehovah. He's not calling him the national God by his national identity. For he does not know God this way. But God says to Abimelech, you don't know me, but here's a man that does know me. So you ought to get him to pray for you. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, I see he was a compromised man, but here's why he could pray because he was a connected man. I didn't say he was a consecrated man. I said he was a connected man. Now, I'm not telling you, you and I shouldn't be consecrated. But I'm saying even when we're not consecrated, praise God, we're still connected. Amen? Even when we're not how we ought to be, hey, we're still His. We still belong to me. And that reveals to me two important truths. One, prayer is rooted in our relationship to God. God said to Abimelech, this man can pray for you because I know him and he knows me. As has already been said, listen, prayer is not VIP access to God that's granted to the super spiritual. And that's sort of how we think of it sometimes. You know, it's interesting to me, and I don't want to denigrate the idea of prayer or people committing their, their lives to prayer in any way, but you know the term prayer warrior is not a scriptural term. I'd venture this to you tonight. I bet someone that is one wouldn't call themselves one. I'm just telling you, this idea of a, of a prayer wart. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's men that prayed in the Bible. There's men that you and I would call a prayer warrior. But I, I'd say this. They probably wouldn't talk about prayer that way. We view prayer as being this privilege that you get if you're really close to God and if you're real spiritual and if you do everything right, then you can pray. And we'll say about people, well, boy, that person really knows how to get a hold of God. But I'd say to you this. Every child of God knows how to get a hold of God. Because we're all indwelt by the Spirit of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, prayer is rooted in this relationship. It's not VIP access to God that's granted to the super spiritual. Rather, it's the cry of a helpless child who is fond. You say, why does that distinction matter, preacher? Because if you're honest, if you have just even an ounce of humility, you'll rarely view yourself as a prayer warrior. But very often you'll view yourself as a pitiful child. If the only way you'll pray is if you think you've earned the right to by being super spiritual, I've got news for you. If you think you've earned the right, you ain't super spiritual. If you if you recognize that you're not super spiritual, then you might be getting somewhere where you can really get on praying ground. But I'm saying if we think we have to attain to this place of super spirituality to get a hold of God and to pray and to seek Him, uh, chances are, rather than not, we just won't do it. Abraham's a man that can pray. Why? Because he knows God and God knows him. Uh, now, Abraham was a prophet. You know, you and I were the children of God. Fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Uh, we're, we're commanded to cry out, Abba, Father. To, to call out to Him. To pray to Him. To seek to Him. You say, preacher, what if I'm not where I need to be? Would God really listen to me? I know we quote what the psalmist says about regarding iniquity in my heart and the Lord will not hear me. And listen, I do believe this, that whenever, you know, we view that as, as if we have iniquity in our heart and we pray God won't listen to us. Has it ever dawned on you that might be saying when we've got iniquity in our heart, we tend to not pray? If I regard, you listening? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It doesn't say that, that, that we spoke. It just says He didn't hear us. I find in my life, when I'm not living right, I tend to not pray most of the time. You say, preacher, what do I do? Well, the Bible says that the Spirit of God maketh intercession for us with groanings and utterings which cannot be discerned. Listen, this isn't, I'm not advocating you live like Abraham did. I'm just saying if you're where Abraham's at, you ought to go ahead and call on God because He's still listening. 
It's rooted in our relationship with God. But number two, I notice that it is rooted in our requirement of God. You say, preacher, why? Why is it that God would encourage Abimelech to go to Abraham and have Abraham pray for him? Well, I'll give you a very simple reason because Abimelech had a problem. And if he could take that problem and make that problem Abraham's problem, then he could get something done about that problem. In other words, the reason he encourages him to do so is because there's a need, there's a requirement, uh, there's a pressing, urgent situation that must be addressed. You say, preacher, why could Abraham pray and talk to God? Well, number one, because he knew God. A person doesn't know God, they can't talk to God. But if they know God, if they've called upon Him and received Christ as their Savior, they can talk to Him. Amen. There's no spiritual threshold that you've got to achieve or attain to after that. You're a child of God. You can talk to Him. He'll listen. Number two, why? Why would He have? Why could He talk to God? Because He had a need in His life. And you see, that's really all that a person needs if they want to pray and seek the Lord. I'm not saying that that'll take you to the very pinnacles of what prayer is, but I am telling you at a very base level uh, that if you want to talk to God, you need two things. You need to know Him and you need to need something. You need to know Him. You with me tonight? You need to know Him and you need to need something. Now somebody's going to say, Preacher, I'm satisfied in my life. I don't need a thing. Well, you need to teach me that. Amen. But beyond that, uh, that's good. You're real spiritual and I appreciate that. But you know, Abraham here didn't pray for his own need. He prayed for the need of another. See, when I read this passage, I see the imperfect practitioner of prayer. He's not a perfect man, but he's a prophet. He's not a man uh, that is above reproach, but he is man uh, that has a relationship. And because of that, uh, God points to him and says, get this man to pray for you. But then notice the intercessory process of prayer. What was the focus of Abraham's prayer? The Bible says in verse 7 to Abimelech, it says he's a prophet and he shall pray. He didn't say he shall pray for himself. He didn't say he shall pray generically. God didn't say He'll pray for me and for my glory and praise and, and magnificence and, and majesty. He said, you get a hold of Him, He'll pray for thee. He'll pray for you, Abimelech. Abraham's prayer life here, and undoubtedly Abraham prayed for himself. We all pray for ourselves. We should. I hope you do. If you're not, you ought to be. Amen? Uh, but Abraham here does not pray for himself. He prays for Abimelech. Isn't it interesting that when God wants to draw attention to this topic of prayer, it is not intensely personal prayer, but rather it's intercessory prayer that God draws an attention to. I'd suggest to you this, that we make too little of intercessory prayer. Much of prayer life has been consumed with the same self-centered consumerism that has corrupted our society at large. Now listen, you got a need, you ought to tell God about it. But can I tell you something? He knows your need before you ever tell it. He knows your need before you ever tell it. Uh, very often we'll ask people to pray for things and only and ever exclusively ask them to pray for uh, needs that we have personally in our lives. I've probably been guilty of this, and I bet you have too, if you ever asked someone to pray for something that even you yourself was not praying over. What a prayer freeloader we are sometimes. But instead, the example that God gives here is a man that's not praying for himself, but is praying for another. Now somebody's going to say, but preacher, I have needs. Well, hold on a second. We ain't, we ain't unbuckled and got off the ride yet. There's still sermon to preach. But I'm just saying it would help you and I if we would put the focus of our prayer life not on ourselves, but upon others. You'll find that the more that you pray for others, the less you'll be aware of the needs that you have in your own life. Uh, we ought to make it a regular practice of intercessory prayer. And then, But now, wait a minute, I do notice something. I do notice that though he was praying for another, when we come down, look at verse 14. Look what the Bible says. It says, And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham, and restored him Sarah his wife. 
Then didn't just stop there. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. You see, I see the focus of Abraham's prayer. But then I notice there's some fruit from Abraham's prayer. Now, again, those of you that said now, but preacher, i got needs in my life. You know, Abraham did too. Abraham was in just as much a danger as Abimelech was. What do you think would have happened if God had struck Abimelech dead? Don't you think this strange visitor from another land that just showed up and allowed his sister to be taken into the king's harem might have been in an uncomfortable political situation had something happened to Abimelech? Don't you think somebody would have sat around and said, you know, it makes me kind of wonder if maybe she poisoned him, she killed him, or even nothing else. Maybe it just angered our gods or their gods that he was here. Abraham would have wound up killed just as sure as Abimelech would have. So in other words, when Abraham prays for Abimelech, he's really in a roundabout way. You know what he's doing? He's also, Brother Ken, he's praying for himself. Through praying for another, Abraham's life was enriched and advanced. Praying for others, listen carefully, is the shortest route to the blessings of God. You want your life to be blessed? Instead of focusing on praying for yourself so much, you ought to pray for other people. Preacher, they may not deserve it. What, like a Philistine king? Preacher, you, you, you don't understand. I mean, they, they don't, they, the, the, the person that, that is asking me to pray for, I'm not even sure if they know God. You mean like a Philistine king? I mean, listen, on and on we could go, but suffice it to say, here God says, you want to know what prayer uh, looks like? It looks like intercessory prayer. And we don't get left out in the cold. You know why? You know what the difference is? Intercessory prayer more distinct. It's a greater exercise of faith than personal prayer is. Because it is, it is faith not just in God's promises, but it is faith in His personality. Faith in God's promises says, if I ask God to do this, I am His child and He will answer and He will grant unto me the thing that I'm asking. Intercessory prayer suggests this. Uh, when I pray for others, I'm more like Christ. And the very personality of God will ensure with His justness and fairness and love that I do not go untended to. It is placing ourselves as the ward of His providence and compassion. It is saying, I'm going to pray, for, I'm going to busy myself about His work and let Him busy Himself about my work. I'm going to busy myself about the needs of another and trust that my Heavenly Father knows what I have need of and will not see me done without. So I see the fruit of His prayer. And then I notice the immense power of prayer. Verse 17, the Bible says, So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants and the bare children. When God points to prayer in this passage, He wants to teach us that prayer can touch the world. What I mean by that is our tangible existence. Prayer is not... I've made this statement several times lately, but I'm going to say it again. It was good then. It'll hopefully be good tonight. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that prayer has been viewed by modern Christendom as a sort of spiritual yoga. Meant for the limbering of spiritual joints and the focusing of spiritual energies. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is the active, intelligent communication of the heart and mind of the believer with his God, with his creator. It, it, it is a, it is a, a, a relationship uh, it is a relational communication. It is not something that is just internally focused. Not only does it does it touch upward, but it reaches outward and it changes things. It is not the same thing as when a Catholic rubs the rosary beads together. It's not the same thing as when a Buddhist uh, touches on an idol, a, 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 an image of Buddha. It's not the same thing. It's it's the communication of God by His children, and it has the ability to touch the world, to change things. It's meaningful. Uh, if you don't believe that, pray. Pray. 
and you'll see things change. So prayer can touch the world. But then God goes about and says it in a little bit different way in verse 18. It says, For the Lord had fast closed up all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now we could make a basic assumption, right? We could assume that God had caused this upon Abimelech and his household. And that would have been a right assumption. In fact, in a very generic sense, we could say this, that God controls everything. And that's true. God does control everything. So why does the Scripture go out of its way to attribute to God the will and the agency of this action? It wants to tell us that God had deliberately done this. This was not a product of of common disease. It was not a product of some kind of contaminant in the water, in the food. But supernaturally, God had fast closed up all these wounds. But now wait a minute, it just got through saying that God healed Abimelech. I think what it's probably trying to tell us is this, that prayer can touch the world, but prayer can also turn God's will. Now the statement I just made is above my pay grade. If I made a hundred times what I make, it'd be above my pay grade. If I had a brain ten times the brain I've got, it still couldn't come close to wrapping around uh, what, what I just said. I can't explain it, but I can expose it in Scripture. And I can show you that though I do not, and you find these instances in the Bible, there's times, for instance, when the Lord Jesus is walking by someone, blind man cries out, and the Bible says that Jesus stopped. Now, has it ever dawned on you, he didn't stop until the blind man cried out. How strange that is. He's God. He knows he's going to cry out. But the Bible draws our attention to the fact that it was when the man cried out that Jesus stopped. I can't explain everything about that. The Bible tells us there's times that Jesus would have passed by someone, but they cried out unto Him. I can't explain everything about how a thrice holy, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God is going a direction, and then when someone cries out, He was going to go that direction, but He stopped. Wouldn't you think God would have known that ahead of time? Well, of course that He does. And listen, we could tie our brains in knots. Or we could just sit here and look at what God's Word says. And we don't have to understand everything. Are you listening? We've been conditioned to believe we have to be able to explain everything that we know to be true. It's not true of anything else. Listen, I can't explain it to you. I, I can't explain, uh, you know, how many of the laws of science work, but I know that they do. I, I can't explain you many of the things of human nature and behavior, metaphysical things that move beyond what science can explain and things that no one can explain, but I know that they happen. I can observe them. And in the same way, I can observe that though I cannot explain everything about it, God did something and then He reversed what He did and He did that because Abraham prayed. Prayer not only touches the world around us, it somehow grabs hold of the hand of God and moves it. I don't know why that is. I don't understand how that is. Uh, but I know what you and I ought to do with it. It means we ought to pray about things that are meaningful in our life. And then finally tonight, I want you to notice the impeccable providence of prayer. I'm not really going to preach this as much as I'm just going to notice it. Because the Bible tells us in the next chapter, a number of things begin to take place. During this sojourn, Isaac was born. Ishmael was cast out along with Hagar. Isaac was offered on Mount Moriah and Sarah died. All of these things happened in the following chapter. And all of these things needed to happen in Beersheba, where Abraham is dwelling. You could go through each instance. God evidently had put Abraham precisely where he wanted him. And that tells me this, that through prayer, God had placed Abraham where he needed to be. All human reasoning would have suggested he didn't need to be there. By the way, as far as Abraham's awareness and knowledge and personal responsibility was concerned, he should have never gone down there. 
But isn't it just like God to take the disobedience of Abraham and turn it around and work it perfectly for His will and for His glory? All of these things had to happen uh, in the way that they happened. And it reminds me that prayer is the means of God's providence. Prayer is how God orders things in our life. Prayer is not meant to fight against the providence of God. Rather, it's meant to facilitate the providence of God. We don't have to worry when we're praying that we're going to thwart the will of God. But we can recognize this, that if we pray and pray rightly, it'll put us right in the heart and center of the will of God. And that's what it did for Abraham. It placed Abraham. But then notice this too, and I'll be done. Notice again what it says back in verse 15 16. It says, And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. No Canaanite king had said that to him. He was an outlaw and a fugitive in the land of Canaan. He was a usurper and an intruder. He was a, he was a squatter on land that did not belong to him. But this Gentile, this, this Philistine king, he says, you can go anywhere you want. He said, well, preacher, uh, maybe uh, some harm would have befallen him. Well, listen to what Abimelech says to Sarah. And to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. Now this is Abimelech. He takes a little stab at her. He calls Abraham her brother. Amen. But what I'm interested in here is he says, Because of Abraham and his prayer, I've not only given him maidservants and men servants. I've not only uh, given him livestock, cattle, and, and oxen, and sheep, and all these things, but I've given him a thousand pieces of silver. Plus, I've sent word out that if anybody takes a look at you in the wrong way, they're going to be killed. I'd say this. Abraham, Abraham's in a better situation in Gerar than he had ever been in Canaan. In Canaan, he had no rights. He had no protections. Anybody could have killed him if they had desired to do so. In fact, last time he had been up in Canaan, he had got embroiled in warfare. But now here he is in this Philistine kingdom, and he is more protected and more prosperous than ever he has been before. God has, through this event, put a hedge of protection about his family. And by the way, not just his family. Why was God so serious about this thing with Sarah? Not just because he, he valued the sanctity of the marriage Bed, not just because he valued the sanctity and integrity of Sarah. Say, so, preacher, why was he so interested in making sure that she remained uh, pure as regarded her, her marriage oath? Here's why. Because there was a Messiah that was coming. Had she uh, had offspring with a Gentile king, that would have been one other opportunity where God could try to, or where Satan could try to muddy the messianic lineage. And he did it occasion after that. What do you think Hagar was about? That was the whole reason Satan was doing that. In other words, not only did he place Abraham, but through prayer, God protected Abraham. He situated him in a safer place than he could have ever been otherwise. I'd say that's pretty good for an old boy that just walked out of the will of God, went down to the Philistine land and began to tell lies and trust in his own flesh and his own cunning and wisdom uh, to try to protect him. It's amazing, even when we're out of the will of God, even when we're not living the way we ought to be. You know that God is not surprised by that, and God is willing to hear us if we'll cry out unto Him. I don't believe God's willing to promote and endorse our disobedience. I don't believe He wants to advance us in our rebellion. But I do believe that evidently by the time Abraham prayed, he's making confession, he's admitting what he's done, he's getting right. First thing he does in the, in, in the very next chapter, he's he's living right and doing right. He builds uh, he builds altars and, and he does the right thing. So evidently he had repented and got right. I'm just saying tonight, instead of treating it like prayer is this super superpower of the super spiritual, 
You know what we ought to do is recognize it as what it is. It's the privilege of every born-again child of God. It's the privilege of every child of God. Say, preacher, how can I pray better? Pray for others. Pray for their needs. What about my needs? God will take care of your needs. Pray for others. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for your needs. I'm just saying it's more effective to pray for others' needs. And you'll find that as you do that, God will lead you and guide you and put you right where you need to be. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. And listen, if God spoke to your heart, I think you ought to speak to Him tonight. Uh, don't hesitate. Slip out of your seat and find a place down here and deal with Him. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you for your word and the truth of it. I pray that you bless now this invitation. May your people be obedient unto you. We ask it in Christ's name.